Well, hello, Line Podcast listeners. Matt Gurney here, Fort Jen Gerson. Uh, we are publishing our podcast as early as possible because twice in recent weeks we've been caught when breaking news stories come out and we have to scramble. Uh, one programming note before we do publish this, we will not be publishing a podcast or a video next week. March break stuff, guys. Jen and I will both be off uh, on family stuff. <laughs> Any podcast we could prepare, we just... We're not confident it would withstand the news cycle these days. So enjoy this last episode of the Lions Experimental Podcast. We'll be back with you normally in two weeks. Enjoy. Uh, take good care of yourselves while we're off resting. And uh, do keep checking the line online because we will be still publishing written articles next week. We just won't have the ability to record or edit a podcast. Enough from me. Let's get into it. Here is the latest episode of the Lions Experimental Podcast. Well, here we are once again on a Friday afternoon, and the only thing, Jen Gerson, that jumps out at me is that what the hell is going to get dropped on us after Friday? Because I think twice, yeah, I think both of our last two dispatches, we've had breaking news to deal with on Friday. So we'll see what we're the, the, we're, we're, we're the scoop whisperers. And also, we've, we've decided to uh, uh, take a real chance by uh, hosting this particular chat early in, on Friday, uh, too. We're not even waiting till the evening. There's no point. I mean, it, it screws up our plans either way. Can I just mention as a programming note, I, I think we're not doing a podcast next week um, because oh, you're on, I'm, you're yeah, off. I am yeah, off. All right. I got to start thinking about what I'm going to do. Gonna no, I'll leave you. I'll, I'll leave you with some stuff. We'll, we'll like written right. pieces. We'll be fine on, uh, okay. but for a dispatch next week, I'm not even bringing my computer with me. So oh, good. Good for you. Maybe I'll bang out something on my phone for you, but no, as of, uh, it's just I my really wife. I don't need you to bang out something on your phone for me. Thanks. Whee! I'm good. Um, my, my wife's work schedule is, uh, off the schedule of everybody else. So our March mm -hmm. break is next week. Um, yes, fair enough. Uh, I don't know exactly when our March break is. It may also be next week, in which case we're doubly screwed, but, uh, um, we already have two pieces in the bank and I'll write one. I, so that's three. We'll be right fine. Back. We'll be fine. We'll be fine. Worst case scenario, if we need to do a light March break, I'm sure it will be fine. Um, you will be hearing my children in the background. Both of them are home at the moment. And, uh, Elizabeth has covered herself in blue. So that, that blue she made marker, make, right? Blue marker. Yeah. Blue marker. Right. So we're going to see how that goes. Uh, okay. Are they at least dressed? Yes. We've insisted upon them being dressed. I, I, Elizabeth is on a bit of a pants strike at the moment, but. I remember there was a long time every year I kept thinking this would be the year the kids would just stop randomly ripping all their clothes off and being naked. And it took, it, we got there eventually, but it took a lot longer than I expected. It took a lot longer than you'd think. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, especially through, especially girls for some reason. They're just like, uh, yep. Um, C18. You're, okay. you're all yeah, keyed I'm, up on that. I'm, I'm, I'm pissed. I'm angry. Mm. So, um, no, language. Uh, yeah, so basically, uh, this is a, a latest piece from uh, Professor Michael Geist. He writes this thing uh, that notes that uh, a motion is about to be put forward at committee, I presume at the Senate committee, because uh, not the, the House committee, that calls on uh, Meta and Google to disclose all of the private correspondence that they've had on C-18 and I believe also C-11 um, C18 is the online news act. C yeah. C11 is content regulation. It's the content regulations. Yeah. Um and this gets really borked because not only that they want the they want the 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 companies to disclose also any third party organizations that they've paid to do advocacy work for them. I actually think that's pretty reasonable. Um but also to disclose any internal or external communications that they've done with any of those third parties. 
So if they have coordinated or, or chatted with any journalists about C-18, that would fall under the mandate of the, the scope of the mandate. So there's a couple of things I find really messed up about this is that, firstly, I don't really care about Meta and Google's reputation. So let's just put that aside for a moment. And let's also have this start with a caveat with this conversation with the obvious rebuttal. And that is, I have no concerns about anything they would disclose about me. Like I have no concerns at all. I have not coordinated with these companies on these files. I've taken no money from these companies on these files, neither of you. So the line has no issue here. All right. We really don't. If Facebook and Google were to release everything they had for the last three years, we come out looking like gems, all right? I've got no issue. The only thing I have to disclose on this is that I think last year, uh, Google paid for the plane ticket so that I could attend the Walrus Gala and sit at their table. But we didn't discuss C18, we didn't coordinate C18. The only thing we talked about is I explained to them that the metaverse was going to enslave humanity and I never got invited back. So there you go. So like, it was not related to C18 at all. They were trying to fill out a table for a charity gala and thought I might be fun conversation. Like that's, that's what happened there. In fairness, you are. I am, I'm great dinner conversation. You are. Hilarious. So anyway, and I actually, I I not infrequently get invited to things like this simply because, you know, they kind of want a little sparkle at the table. It tends to be what happens. But anyway. Same reason I'm not invited. Yeah, precisely. There's a reason why I'm the, the vision. Okay. Let's just put it that way. I'm the sparkle. But anyway, uh. I don't even think that that would fall under the disclosures that what the, what, what the government is asking for because it had nothing to do with these bills whatsoever, okay? But I'm proactively disclosing that. And I will proactively disclose, Jen, that I've gone through all my records. I have zero to disclose as There's... relates to C18, Google, or Meta. No, nothing. Nothing. Neither, And neither does the line. We would come out looking like roses uh, in this situation. So I'm not afraid of what the disclosure is, but I th- find it incredibly fucked up that a government committee would ask for or demand in this case um private disclosures going back on a three-year time frame i think that's i think that's insane i think that that's a total overreach of of their mandate and 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 their 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 power and look i mean there's a couple of things here and that is yes i can go and file an atip and ask the government for all of its disclosures and all of its communications that's because the government works for me and you the government works for us. Like we, we pay it with its with our taxpayer dollars. We're entitled to that information because they serve us. The, the onus doesn't go the other way around. A private company or a private individual doesn't owe the government that kind of information. They are allowed to coordinate. They're allowed to have, you know, conversations and strategize about about these sorts of issues. And of course, this is all happening in relation to the fact that both Google and Facebook have now explicitly or 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 um in explicitly threatened or inferred that if C18 goes through they're going to respond in a totally logical fashion for any kind of private business if facebook is forced to pay um media companies for hosting links that it does not post on its platform its response to that is going to be to not host links anymore like no shit sherlock Yep. And the government is responding by saying, well, that's an intimidation tactic. Is it? <laughs> I just think it's a rational response to, to, to the law they're putting out. Yeah. The government clearly didn't think that that was going to happen and is responding in turn by saying, well, screw you. We're going to demand all of your uh, private communications and we're going to reveal all of your third party um, uh, uh, strategists and we want you to disclose this and this and this. I just think, firstly, this is so fucked up 
it's such an invasion of privacy on principle. If the government thinks that Facebook or Google has done anything wrong or illegal, to me, the appropriate avenue would be to get a warrant. Mm. Get a warrant. <laughs> you know what I mean? Like, get a warrant. That's yep. that's an appropriate disclosure. And then investigate away. I don't care. Um, and then the, the the other thing is, like, I do actually think it, it's, it's perfectly appropriate, and I think it's actually perfectly fine for them to ask for Facebook and Google to give them a disclosure of any entities they've funded to advocate on their behalf for C18. I actually have no, I actually think that is totally reasonable. But beyond that, that's, this, this is getting a little nuts. So anyway, what I think is actually happening here is that they know very well that Facebook and Google aren't going to comply with this because it's bonkers for them to do so. And it would also be potentially disclosing major privacy issues yeah. with members of the public and also the the journalists who have been corresponding with Facebook and, 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 um, Google on on this bill, which they have every right to do. You want to yeah. go meddle in this? And not necessarily collaboratively. Like that could no. sweep up communications of journalists or publishers or directors of news companies saying you guys are fucking assholes. Yeah, totally. Absolutely. And disclose this for, 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 for public viewing in, in ways that are completely inappropriate. Um, and so I think that, that probably they're not going to comply, even though I, my understanding is that like this is actually illegal. Like they can as demand this. And if Facebook and um, uh, Google decline to comply, then there is a potential that they could be held in contempt of parliament. I don't think it would go that far because I think that to get them to be held in contempt of parliament would require some procedural hurdles that I don't think are going to get met. But I think what's happening here is that you've got the government demanding all this disclosure that is way beyond what's reasonable and is frankly kind of frightening because they are trying to expose dissenters on this front. Mm -hmm. Um, and then what I think is is going to happen is Facebook and Google are going to refuse to comply, and then the government's going to come back and say, "Look at these secretive big tech companies refusing to comply with government requests." Right? What are they hiding? What what third party organizations are 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 being funded by this? They won't tell us. So I think this is all just a game of cat and mouse for them. I think it's very ugly. I think it's a very nasty way of going about it. And my response to this is. Yes, in principle, I'm totally opposed to this because I just think it's way beyond the scope of a government to be doing something of this nature. But if you are going to go forward and do something like this, why stop at Facebook and Google? Let's get the last three years of correspondence from the newspaper lobbying arms who have been lobbying for C18. Let's see what News Media Canada has been up to for the last three months or last three years. Why stop there? Why are you only going after Facebook and Google? I'd love go to see... I would love to see all the internal communications from all these organizations relating to everything related to C18. Yes, Meta absolutely. And Facebook, uh, absolutely. And, and, and actually, you know what? Part of the, the testimony that we've heard again and again and again at C18 is that this particular bill would not compromise journalistic integrity, wouldn't compromise coverage. That's a load of bullshit. And you and I both know it. But let's see. Let's see. Let's see the, the proof in the pudding. If these journalistic uh, entities who want this money through C18 are so confident are so confident that C18 would not imp impinge upon their journalistic integrity, let's see them disclose their editorial um, uh, communications about C18 and C11 at committee. Let's see. Let's see if you can if you if you feel justified morally and legally and ethically justified getting all of Facebook and Google's communications fine. I want News Media Canada and I want all of the organizations that stand to profit by C18 to disclose all of their internal uh, communications about how they've chosen to cover these bills. Sunlight's the best disinfectant as they say. Let's let's see that.
I, I'm grinning just because I'm thinking of some of the communi- internal communications I myself have seen with my own two eyes. Yeah. I believe there would be reluctance among the media companies for some of that, that correspondence I, to become I, public. I also believe that the that the media would not like to be subject to exactly the same levels of scrutiny that the government is now demanding of these other private companies. I think there would be some hell to pay, and I am here for it, baby. Give me the fucking popcorn. Let's yeah, see it all. No, I'm with you. And I would also, I mean, at a certain point, I don't look, I don't know if if the liberals and uh are the op is the opposition the ndp and the bloc are they uh, with the liberals on this yeah more or less because the ndp firstly isn't sort of i is i don't think that i think they're kind of ineffectual but the bloc is of course beholden to a lot of these especially uh the um french media Quebec- language Quebec french, or- yeah quebec and a lot of french uh, french media it actually astonished me uh how little op is how much more support for c18 you saw from a lot of the french media than you saw even from the from the english media mm. Um, well, you and I, um, how do I say this? Nothing of a way to say this without getting us sued. Um, you and I are well aware of the fact that there are, um, either outlets or individuals at outlets who are considered more friendly to the government's agenda than not. Would love to see those communications. Like at, at a certain point, it, the, the, the government and, and the block and the NDP may need to be reminded that privacy exists for a reason yeah and, and what's also, good for the goose is good for the gander and so on that's, and so that's forth. exactly it that's my argument is that i firstly i'm i i do believe that these companies do have a right to privacy i think they have the right to strategize without government interference yeah but so you know what jen you're right but i would actually go further i would reverse the equation here individual canadians have a right to secure communications between themselves and private entities that's correct yeah, yeah. that's correct absolutely yeah. Absolutely. Now again, I have nothing to disclose. I've I've already searched my inbox today. Not nothing. I'm nothing not worried. In there, but I'm not worried. Yeah, I am not remotely concerned. But if you want, but if you want to abolish those sorts of norms of privacy and communication, then you shouldn't be abolishing okay. those norms for only one entity. You should be abolishing those norms for all of the entities involved in this bill. Let's see who comes out smelling good. Mm. Oh, I'm 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 here for it. You know, I if we're if we're gonna have mandatory disclosure of private and personal communications between individual Canadians and private sector entities, okay, I think it's a terrible idea. But if we're gonna do it, let's do it all the way. Let's do it all the way. Let's just go for but, it. And I and I would say that even with the caveat that I do think there is one thing that potentially would pass at motion that I think is is perfectly reasonable. And again, I'd state. I think it is reasonable for the committee to ask whether or not Facebook is funded any third party entities to testify against C18. I think that's I think that's a reasonable disclosure. Mm-hmm. Um and I wouldn't I wouldn't protest that one one it one iota. Nope. No, I'm I'm with you on that one. Um there there might be privacy implications even there, commercial contracts, uh, non disclosures, things like that. Yeah, exactly. But I think that they also would be shocked by how little there actually is. Or maybe I would maybe I'm being naive. I don't know. No uh, yeah, one's paid you know me. No one's paid me or offered me any money to 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 write about this shit. I'll be honest with you. I actually don't think I have an opinion on that. I like I I don't think I'd be shocked either way. I because mm-hmm. I I don't think I have an opinion on that. But I think that is a reasonable, a more reasonable ask. But I still think there'd be legal impediments here. Parliament has broad powers, though. Like yes. like that's right. Parliament can do a lot of stuff. And on the one hand, like I kind of wish our parliamentarians had bigger balls 
firmer spines like were willing to actually use some of those powers more often but like Jugmeet Singh of the NDP grilling grocery store guys about why they're making more money when food's more expensive and you know this the C18 and C11 stuff it's all just a kind of disgusting backdrop if I can be blunt about this to the the liberals and their desperate evasive maneuvers to keep Katie Telford from testifying here well, like they want, they want our it. communications, but they don't want Telford yeah. to testify. Well, and this is this okay. is the great irony about about all of this. They're demanding more transparency and rapidity than any department in their government has ever displayed in twenty years. Our like, notoriously broken access, yeah, to our notoriously system. broken access to information system. If you were to put any request of this nature, and this is written almost like an ATIP request. If you were to put a similar request in to any government department who are actually legally obligated to keep files and report to to to, to um, issue those files to the public. Should we but, do that? <laughs> yeah, we probably should. But anyway, like they, they're obligated to do this. But if you were to put a similar type of request into any government department, it'll take you five years and half of it will come back redacted. I'm so not they're kidding. asking- Maybe we should asking, do it. No, we should. We should. But I mean, they're asking for more openness and transparency from the from a private private companies and private individuals than any of their departments have ever demonstrated ever, as far as I can tell. Like, I'm I'm actually pissed and not because I like I am personally as a human being pissed off. I'm I'm out of uh, I'm out of the habit of filing a tips. When was the last time you filed one? It's been a while. Put it this way. It was the last time I filed an a tip was, I think, before Trudeau. um, uh, waive the the uh, back end fees for the ATIP. So uh, the people, the people, people f- don't realize yeah. that prior used to, to doing be expensive. that, yeah, exactly. So you used to be able to file an ATIP for five dollars, but then the department would come back to you three months later and say, "Great, but for us to actually assign the man hours and the and the, and, and the capabilities to give you your request, it's going to cost you five thousand dollars." And then it would become a, a negotiation between you and the, the the ATIP department, right? Like, and this was also one of the ways that. Uh, information was kept essentially private. It was made expensive to access. Yeah. So to his credit, Trudeau actually did waive that fee. And somebody actually pointed this out to me on Twitter and corrected my my snarky tweet about this. So thank you very much, Tim. But uh, yeah, so now those back-end fees have been waived, which is good, which is a ge- legitimately good thing this government has done. It doesn't mean that our entire system isn't fucking broken. It completely still Well, is. did you but. see uh, the Ottawa Citizen report this week about that? Oh, yeah, you would flag this. Please yeah. tell us. So, well, it's, I mean, there's not much to it. So um, General uh, Wayne Eyre, uh, uh, Chief of the Defense Staff, Commanding Officer of the Canadian Armed Forces, was given a briefing. I, I don't even, I'm not even that familiar with the details of this, but he was given a briefing or a presentation um, about uh, how to handle uh, w- with sensitivity issues related to sexual misconduct, because obviously that's been a problem the military has been having. The Ottawa citizen requested a government document uh, related to that and was told they could not be found or did not exist. But it was a trap because the Ottawa citizen already had the document and the government (laughs) was saying, government saying, yeah, we can't find it. Maybe it doesn't exist. And he's like, actually, we have it already. And the government's like, oops, yep, found it. Sorry, we made a mistake here. No one believes it was a mistake. We all believe, and anyone who works in our industry believes the government lies to us regularly about what documents they can or cannot find. And I like, I don't, I'm not, you know me, I'm not conspiracy, uh, cons- conspiracy minded, but I 100% believe that we are lied to about what access uh, the government has to information if they just don't want to give it to us. And there's, there's no accountability mechanism. So 
I love it. Um, it's yeah, the season I'm, is great. I'm gonna, I'm gonna, anyway, I don't know if we want to get into the season, but I'm going to go off on these guys about this stuff in the written version. Yes, well, you know what, do it. And if you don't mind, um, you take point on that, you're fired up on this. I would include oh, I it, I would include it at the very bottom, or maybe even as a separate four sentence blurb, just link to the Ottawa Citizen piece. Like, people should. People should yeah, know that one. That one should probably get a little bit more attention than it's been getting. Um, something speaking of something that might deserve less attention than it's been getting. We have not touched the grocery store inquiry stuff at all because I think you and I share the opinion that it's stupid, right? Correct. That's my opinion. Cool. Yep. Got it. So, do we want to talk about why we think it's stupid, even if it's just on this podcast, briefly? Um, what I would say is this. I have no doubt whatsoever that a lot of companies right now are profiting more due to inflation. I suspect that includes grocery companies. I don't think grocery, I mean, one of the things that the grocery companies have said is that their food margins, uh, the profit margins on food are very tight. They've been making more money on other things like cosmetics, clothing, household uh, goods. The the nearest Loblaws to me, well, hang on. No, there's a very small Loblaws near me. The second nearest Loblaws to me it was like a third of the footprint of the place is food. The rest of it is like clothes. For it's, the, like, it's like indigo and books now. Kind of, yeah. Yeah, I think that's a good way of putting it. And I, so it's just first, so there's that. Second of all, the government itself is making a ton of money on inflation. Inflation drives up tax revenues. I'd like to see Jugmeet Singh call Revenue Canada on the carpet here and start demanding why they're not refunding getting some of that money. The other third point I would make, and it's not even on the substance of this, it just goes to show you how snake-bitten Jugmeet Singh is as a leader, right? He spent months trying to do this, finally got it. He had his big theatrical stack of papers. He got them on the carpet. He was he was going after them. And no one paid any attention because China electoral interference completely ate the news cycle that day. Well, and I know that, but I mean, to me, the whole purpose of this uh, inquiry against grocery, whatever it's straight up playing to the base it's 100 yes. playing to the base it's for and also, clips on instagram it's clips on instagram donations. it's him crying about you know women not being able to feed their babies on it uh in the house of commons that's that's completely what this is for it's utter theater the other thing is there is this weird thing on the left and maybe you can explain this to me there's a weird lefty hatred of galen weston and I think it's because he's broken one of the primary laws of being rich in canada and that is he's rich in canada in public <laughs> so he becomes well no but i mean literally this is a psychological thing if you make a lot of money in canada you stay quiet about it right you're like supposed you to be ashamed you're supposed to be kind of ashamed you're supposed to like put some landscaping up in front of your house to make sure people don't see how big it is you wear decent well-cut clothes but not official not name brand clothes like, you know what i mean you, you don't wear brands like there's there's rules about how to be mega rich in canada and galen western kind of breaks them by simply by being accessible in public and as a result he's he's a, a particularly hated scapegoated scapegoated figure on the left he also just sort of reeks of i don't know this sort of canadian elitism nebishness right that i think really sets a lot of people on the left off so he's he's a wonderful foil for someone like jagmeet singh even though singh himself is also is obviously really wealthy not as wealthy as western of course but you know singh's not doing too poorly either so there's there's an interesting little psychological side thing there but the thing that i would note is that um people gave weston when he testified and and, and loblaws and whatever firstly loblaws is a very central canadian thing right you know that right like we don't have loblaws at west um we have superstores 
I didn't know that, know that. Is Superstore owned by Lawbosa? Yes, I think it's the same group, but it's not it's not the bougie grocery store chain. Superstore is kind of like the Walmart, Canadian Walmart grocery store chain. It's mm. not like it's not it's not bougie in the same way that I think it, it is in the in in Toronto. So as a result, it's a different psychological thing. It's a different psychological hit out here. Is, okay, um, hang on. This might be my own Galen Weston showing here, but is Loblaws bougie? Yeah, Loblaws is pretty bougie. I think Loblaws is super bougie compared so, to. So where do like where we, would I, I buy think my? We, I think we where do would I buy my groceries to show s- solidarity with the working class? Oh, like you'd probably go, like we do have some bulk barns. We do have like co-op is really popular out in here in Calgary, and it's actually a grocery cooperative, which is actually where we shop. It's great. Um, Safeway's kind of going downhill lately, I think. Anyway, there's that's a kind of a good question, but anyway, like I think co-op and Walmart are, are generally sort of your 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 working class. Well, because I mean, I think here, like real real bargain grocery shopping would probably be no frills, and I'm pretty sure that's no all about yeah, no, no, but you know, it's not, anyway, it's, it's, a, it's an interesting thing, right? C- class and psychology play into this, which I think is interesting. What but I would what got say, me, so what your got... actual question though, which I, which I will say, one of the things you're overlooking is that Galen Weston and Loblaws was implicated in the bread price fixing. The bread price fixing, which and also made it very. He's never, he's never been forgiven for that. No, exactly. However, the thing that I would note just on a real macroeconomic level here is that um this chain got i think uh, uh, pummeled for claiming like a four percent profit margin and people were like that's like the typical grocery train profit margin is closer to 2.3 to three percent profit margin so they were like that ah, proof of price gouging and i'm just kind of going a four percent profit margin is still a really tight margin yeah just so that we're clear that is not that is not an <clears throat> egregiously profitable uh, a chain particularly if most of their profit isn't actually coming from the food products and secondly if your inflation rates are going up by like 11 percent per year that additional one percent margin that they're making on lipstick is not the thing that's driving up your grocery bills like that's it price gouging doesn't make sense it, it, how should I say this in, in in an industry where the average profit margin is like two to three percent and one company's making four <clears throat> Price gouging doesn't account for an 11% increase in grocery bills. You know what I'm saying? Like what this tells you is that actually we're a pretty competitive market. I mean, especially in the urban areas, not so much when you're outside the urban areas, but most of the urban areas are pretty competitive on grocery prices. And the best way to actually keep prices down is competition. Right? Mm-hmm. Like that's, that's what it is. You want to make sure that people don't aren't stuck going to Loblaws and having that be their only option, because then of course they're going to increase in price gouge. So anyway, this is a long story. I don't want to write about this in the dispatch. I do just want to comment on how stupid I think this is. It was dumb. No, I agree. It was, it was dumb. dumb. It was dumb. You know, I uh, we've probably talked about this in previous dispatches, um, but I remember giving you a warning, um, and it was the summer before last. So I think at the, the line, we first began writing about inflation in the fall of 2021. We were writing inflation when everybody was telling us it was crazy was, to write about inflation. Yes. yes. Yeah. And one of the things that really twigged me to that was a video, I think it was by an American farmer. He's an onion farmer. And I saw this video on YouTube where he's basically doing just a stand up straight into into camera video where he's going, hey, folks, I'm telling you why you're going to have huge food infl- inflation next year and he had this really weird backdrop where he's standing in a warehouse with nothing but onions stacked behind him and he started talking about how all of his inputs were up 
and yeah. it's uh, labor, fuel, fertilizers, equipment. One of the big problems they were running into at the time was um, shipping container shortages because of the the dysfunction at the ports. And the guy was just basically saying, "Look, like I'm an onion farmer. Like I'm not I'm not an economist here, but I'm telling you, I need to charge more for all these onions behind me than I had to charge last year. And the grocery stores are going to buy them because they need to get their onions from somewhere, and you're going to pay for it." And he says to me, this is not an onion specific issue, right? Like, and I went, oh, okay. And then I, and then at the time, everyone was telling us, no, there's no inflation. Well, but then of course we were at the same time, I was hearing from like the the cattle ranchers out here who were starting Mm -hmm. to overcull their cattle herd ahead of the the winter because the cost of feed had gone up so much. So they were just like, look, buy your meat now because beef's going to go through the roof in about six months when supply starts to dwindle. And that's exactly what happened. And as a result, actually, I think all of the cattle herds are still lower than they would traditionally have been because of the feed prices. So it's like it's it, it's multiple compounding input costs. And actually, if you want to get to the bottom of what's happening in food and food inflation, it's really complicated. And price gouging doesn't account for enough of it to justify what's happening. Here. Well, in theory, Parliament actually would be a great instrument to do that, except we're not a serious except country. we're not a serious country. So anyway, um, I do think we, we do want to talk about China. But first, I think that oh, we want to put on the radar that uh, the global economy might be collapsing again a little bit or no? <laughs> well, I don't know. I don't, I don't know how bad it is. So we don't know how bad it is yet. So the banks we, are going weird on us again. Uh, yeah. So it, uh, Parts of this remind me with the Silicon Valley Bank and Signature Bank collapsing the United States and with Credit Suisse and First Republic Bank, both under pressure. Obviously, there's some 2008 vibes here. The one thing I will, the couple of things that I would say are different. First of all, we're all battle scarred from 2008. And second of all, the government responded differently and faster this time. Yes. So I don't know. And very aggressively. Yeah. So I don't know. I don't know what kind of problem we're in. And that's just me being honest with you here. One of the things that worries me now, and it's an abstract, like I'm not specifically worried about, oh, this, that will happen or this will happen. One of the things that worries me is a bank run is actually primarily a psychological phenomenon. Mm-hmm. You know, if you suddenly pull all your money out, I don't want to be the last asshole to get in line. So I pull all my money out. That's a bank run. Panic. Yeah, but to some extent, in. so is so is inflation. Well, I'll talk about that in a minute. <laughs> so a bank run is psychological, and I don't know. I honestly don't know how a bank run would manifest in a social media age. So last mm. weekend, I was trying to not be busy, and I was at hockey games. I was um, at a bar, like, and all my social media feeds were full of video live streams of people in California lined up around banks waiting to get in to get their cash. A bank run is a psychological phenomena and we've never been better at transmitting information, which could include panic at the speed of light than we are right now. And I don't know. So last weekend it took the U S federal government, Somewhere, depending on how you want to define it, somewhere between two and four days to come out with a systemic risk plan to back, to save the depositors at SVB and at Signature Bank in New York City. Two to four days was not fast enough. But I also don't know if a federal government can actually move much faster than that. Like at a certain point, we are governing with instruments that do not keep up with the speed that this stuff can spread. So that's one point I would make. Well, and I would say there's there's always been a, a fail stop option against a bank run, and that's the banks just shut down. Well, that's what happened in Silicon Valley, right? Yeah. The Fed yeah, shut exactly. it down. 
Well, no, but I mean, the bank itself can just basically close the doors and be like, we're, uh, we're shutting this down until you calm down. Sort of, but one of the problems could be ele- electronic withdrawals. So one yes, of the but things- they can, they can, sh- they, I mean, I don't know if they have a technical capacity, but they can do exactly what banks did back in whatever the 20s or the 30s. And that is they literally lock the doors and, and say, say, we are not, we are down. not giving you any more withdrawals. They could presumably do the same thing with electronic withdrawals. They could literally just say like, sorry, all, of, all assets frozen. One of the interesting things on, um, on Monday that I was worried about was how many people uh, had put in panicked withdrawal orders over the weekend that would not actually be looked at until Monday morning. Hmm. So what would happen to the banking system in the United States? And ultimately, it seemed to go okay. But I was wondering how many banks on Sunday night had emergency teleconferences and they're like, okay, we're stable, we're liquid, we're capital, we're good. And then they open on Monday morning and it's like, we got 30,000 withdrawal orders that have just accumulated over the weekend. We got Are we going to honor these things? Ultimately, things look to be okay. Well, and the, the other thing I would just note about, about bank runs too, is that bank runs are a manifestation of lack of faith in the system. Correct. Right? Yep. Bank runs are bank runs are, are a manifestation of a severe collapse of faith in the governments to backstop the banks. Yeah. Banks to make good on the instruments that the banks rely on to make good. So like it that's it's 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 a really interesting and telling system of a of a of a d- profound lack of trust in the mega structures of society. You and I are all ve- like we're veterans of 2008. Like we well not yeah. veterans, survivors. Yeah, we 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 I remember that. Oh, I remember that too. I was saying last weekend I mentioned I was at a bar. It was it was a family dinner uh for a birthday in the family. We got a a really nice local restaurant, with a nice bar. And I was talking with my dad and my brother-in-law, a very specific memory I have of going golfing the day Lehman collapsed. And mm-hmm. we were like heading out the door. We were getting our water bottles from the fridge. We were all in our, our golf clothes. We we're about to head off to the club and it was, oh, Lehman collapsed. And we spent the whole golf game talking about it. And we're trying to figure out what it meant. The point I would make though, and it's the big point. I think what we're seeing here is that I don't think central banks can stabilize the banking system and fight inflation at the same time. Oh, that's an interesting question. Well, I mean, with, with, with SVB in particular, and I think Credit Suisse, like Signature Bank in New York City was highly exposed to crypto. So we could look at that and we can go, okay, that's anomalous. That was, that's not, you're not going to have tons of blockchain and crypto exposure at most banks. But what happened at uh, Sovereign Wealth, uh, Silicon Valley Bank, I should say, uh, Silicon Valley Bank in California, was that they bought in long term on um, interest bearing investments. But when interest rates went up, the value went negative on those investments. So they were earning less to own these things and it cost to finance them because they because they were with their deposits and they had cash flow problems and they collapsed. So this goes back to the macroeconomic problem, which is that when money's cheap, it's relatively easy to make money because expensive. when it, when money starts to get more expensive, you, the weaknesses of a lot of the it's, underlying- It's easy to lose money. It's easy. Well, and all that, but I mean, it's not just easy to lose money, but when money's more expensive, the underlying structure, structural weaknesses of the companies that were depending mm-hmm. on cheap credit come due. If you are basically running your business um, on turning over debt and you can afford to do that because the debt's basically at zero, one or 2%, what happens when the debt's at four, five, six, seven percent You can no longer sustain the actual cost to maintain the cash flow and you yep. collapse. And so that's essentially what happens in a, in a thousand different microways. 
um, if you have enough of these companies were essentially clinging on by their fingernails and their balance sheets looked okay only because they had access to shit tons of cheap money, the cheap money dries up. When the water goes out, you see who can swim. That's that's the yeah. statement. So essentially, that's the interesting question. If a lot of these banks were only were only appearing to swim because they had access to essentially what twenty years, ten years of of cheap money, um, and right now we're seeing the end of the cheap money era, how deep is the rot? And that is the interesting question that I think nobody can answer. I will say that maybe in terms of a blurb, maybe it would be interesting for us to do a bit of a victory run because. Um, you and I were concerned about what was happening with the global economy. Uh, I think we noted it basically last summer with a, with a statement of like, you know, the bill's going to start to come due in September. I think that's more or less what's begun to happen. It just all didn't collapse in September. But I think that we saw a run up of a, of a series of compounding economic problems from inflation to supply chain issues to um, uh, the impacts of higher interest rates. And now we're starting to see just the beginning of that rollover, whether or not it leads to a widespread collapse or whether or not, you know, the governments will be able to shore this stuff up. But also remember that the governments themselves are kind of dealing with empty pantries. They don't yeah. have the taxation capacity that they had three or four years ago to shore up endless amounts of shitty investment and 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 bad banking decisions. So uh, eh, this you like, and I have talked this, about that. We spent the we spent the we emergency spent reserve in COVID. We spent the emergency reserve on COVID, and you know the current inflationary issues we're dealing with are in part a response to the, to that. <clears throat> so look, um, which yeah. I think is an uncontroversial point. So anyway, like I said, I don't know whether or not it will be fine or whether or not it will go, it will be collapsed. It will either be fine or everything's going to collapse. I don't know which. I honestly, I mean, if you were to ask me, I, I think I'm actually, and this is a rare statement of optimism for me. So everybody make a note of it, especially if I end up being looking like an idiot. I think I'm weighted more to thinking things will be okay than things will be bad this time. Um, but. Well, unless of course the whole system's uh, predicated on a basic rampant fraud and speculation, in which case that we just can't see yet because we're in the I, middle of some kind of global scale financial bubble in which case we'll be totally fucked I, I i do not rule out the possibility that we're totally fucked i just think my expectation which may prove a problem this time is more optimistic than normal okay so just just matt's team fine well put me down Jen, 60 40 totally fucked put me down 60 40 for fine versus fucked okay. but what i think what is going to Call me forty sixty, totally uh, the opposite. All right. so there we go. All, All right, so there we'll, we go. We we we've built in enough of a wiggle room so that basically we can both. We're never wrong. Yeah, we'll never is, be this wrong. This is, is how this calmness is, thrive. Well, this is this is the three thirty or this is the what three thirty, not three thirty. It's the five thirty six model of of econ of uh, political forecasting. You have a seventy. You just say seventy percent chance Trump win, thirty percent chance Hillary fail. And you know it's completely unfalsifiable. That's how we. That's how we survive. What we'll see in the next couple of months uh, is governments having to make a choice between stabilizing the banking sector and fighting inflation, because you fight inflation by raising interest rates, which will threaten banks that are long on um, on interest on interest bearing assets uh, that may in fact now go underwater. The and how, but but okay, so fine. So fighting inflation will threaten some of the banks. What will propping up the banks require? Money printer go, brrr, 
which is inflationary. Mm-hmm. So I, I don't expect every central bank to respond similarly here. And look, I, and I don't pretend to be an expert on this, but I've, I've spent the last week talking with experts, some on record, some off record, trying to just get my head wrapped around this because I'm not a banking guy. And that seems to be the consensus here. Our, our, our hard charge to confront inflation, which was belated, but then strong, has threatened some of the banks. We don't know yet how badly or how many. Hopefully it's it's a few. Hopefully we've seen the end of it. But, you know, when you see the Swiss putting 50 billion to back up Credit Suisse here, you start wondering how the rest of the banks are. So the question is, do the mainstream economists think we're going to be fine now or not? Because I'm going to I'm going to adjust my my tolls according to how they how they vote. Yeah, but knowing you, if they all think we're fine, you're going to think we're fucked. Um, Correct. That is, I mean, and actually, that would that would have turned out to be the correct prediction quite a lot over the last three years. My my honest answer to that is I don't know. I, I I've okay, been talking to no... a bunch of them, guys I personally know and trust. I don't know if I have a sense of what the expectations are. I think Maybe the markets have recovered now. a bit. So yeah. I mean, purely. Oh, hey, let me check. Let me just check the uh, the Dow right now. Let's look at it for the oop oh, down a bunch today. Um, oh dear, everything's fine. Um, you know the Dow's basically... down over the last month. It's positive over the last week. So I don't know. I mean, I don't see any easy shorthand to go. This is how they feel right now. All we can do is wait. Oh, I hate waiting. It's the worst. No, we'll have stuff to talk um, about the next time we do this. You wanted right, so, to wrap my knuckles about David Johnston. Yeah, because you thought he'd be fine, and now it's increasingly obvious that that's ridiculous. He's not fine at all. The perception of conflict is so obvious there. <laughs> I mean, maybe we should start by maybe, David, maybe we should start we start by explaining. Okay, so uh, David Johnston, highly respected, hot. A very eminent, eminent Canadian, the most eminent of the eminent Canadians, perhaps, except for maybe short of a su- retired Supreme Court judge. We ran out of the Supreme Court, retired yeah. Supreme Court pool in this country. They're all we writing had to reports. Go, they're all writing reports. So we had to start digging into the retired governor's general. You know what I'm saying? Like, that's yeah. just where we are in the in the in the limited. I mean, eminent Canadians are a finite resource in this country. So we have to be yeah. not renewable. Eminent. They're non-renewable. So like we have to be sparing and careful about how we use the existing eminent Canadians who still exist. So anyway, David Johnston, former GG, assigned by Harper, looks in principle to be like the perfect special rapporteur to investigate Chinese interference, presuming that anyone treated that seriously in the first place, which nobody did. Everybody assumed that that was just going to be a giant joke. But anyway, and it probably will be, judging by the Liberals' response since their announcement of very serious measures to look into uh, Chinese interference. So anyway, Johnston gets elected and a bunch of people who are, you know, vaguely familiar with Johnston's genuinely eminent and excellent reputation were like, good choice. And then, you know, it became more and more obvious that Johnston's connections are so intertwined with Trudeau personally and professionally, like he's a former what, member, I think not director of the foundation trudeau foundation he's involved in the trudeau foundation he's so involved much. in the trudeau like and also uh he's a longtime family friend of trudeau his kids and their kids cottage together um you know there's he's connected with the rideau foundation which has dominic barton on the board like there's just like the the problem with being an eminent canadian is that canada is a trench coat filled with six people all of whom are eminent and like the the interpersonal, we're so small and so 
fucking incestuous that everything is so interconnected that uh it actually is kind of hard to find a suitably eminent canadian who would fail or lack to have the personal connections required for true impartiality and by all accounts trudeau didn't look very hard because johnston was the best he could come up with see you're making the case against johnston but you're actually making my case for him um and i i, I will say so my original reaction this week when the, when the announcement was was yeah this was a good choice I'm changing my mind on that. And I'm actually changing my mind on that because I, I actually thought the Globe and Mail's editorial on Friday was persuasive on this point where they said, if there's any, if there's any establishment of using former's governor general on partisan issues, it's going to start skewing the job of the governor general, which is an important job that actually appealed to me more than the criticisms of, of Johnston's links. So I think I'm probably coming around to Johnston being a bad idea, but, but for you, for everything you've said, it's not that I disagree with that. It's just, you gotta, you gotta show me someone else. Okay. But here, here's the thing is that I think Howard Anglin had a great piece in the hub where he makes this point is that the last thing you want investigating something like this is an eminent Canadian that like, no, you want, and he makes the point, you want a former cabinet minister. Mm. You want someone who actually understands how politics works at the writing level. You want, you know, a former intelligence Mandarin, someone who's in, in the thick of it. You don't want someone who's got an impressive, you don't want someone who, who is a showy and impressive CV or a former diplomat. That's the wrong type of person to be doing this kind of an investigation because he's going to start going in and looking into, you know, how writing nominations are done and it's going to be lost. Like that's, this is not, this is not the world an eminent Canadian lives in. You want someone who's like dirty. <laughs> like, no, not dirty, but I mean, you want someone who, who actually understands how these worlds work so they, they can properly understand the, the spheres in which they are investigating. And Johnston, because he's an eminent, is poorly is poorly positioned to do that. How many times did we send poor Martha Hall Finley off to oh, tilt at the supply management windmills without accomplishing See, a fucking thing? Martha like, Hall Finley would probably be good at this. Sure, if we didn't care that it succeeded. Because the non-eminent Canadians don't get listened to. They write wonderful reports that are dustbined immediately. Well, I don't know, have we tried? Have we tried yeah. putting a non-eminent I mean, Canadian in this? Yeah. Like, seriously, have we tried expanding the scope beyond the six people in a trench coat? We you have know? used former cabinet ministers on on high level reports before. I'm trying to remember, like I remember like the, at the, the, at the National Post the editorial thing. board. We used to joke about Martha Hall Finley because we trotted her out a bunch of times. But, Annie McClellan, not... I think, has been done, done some of these. John Manley might have done once are or twice. Under, okay, I can't under, remember what for though, which speaks to we, the point. Are we under Are we under the illusion that the purpose of hiring Johnston for this was to do a good job of this? Um. No. no well some people are <laughs> so like so like in which case it doesn't matter anyway the exception the, the the appearance of conflict of interest and the actual conflict of interest is part of the part of the show it's part of the reason why it works so well because trudeau can appoint someone who's got an obvious part an obvious conflict problem the the conservatives can just be like this is an obvious conflict problem and trudeau can respond by like you shitheads are just being partisan assholes who are going after this enormously uh credible eminent canadian whose integrity is unimpeachable this is the whole point 
This is the whole point of the exercise. It's not to get to the bottom of Chinese interference. I don't think we disagree. I just think you're in the anger phase and I'm in the acceptance phase. That's so common for us, though. But being in the different phases? I still have, yeah, I still have a soul, Matt. (laughs) That's that's debatable. Um, (laughs) Look, um, Johnston brings certain assets here in the fact that he has some profile and he has conservative connections too. The liberals could have chosen worse than him. But I, I, but I think- I agree with you there. They could have chosen worse. What I, I think I said in my, I, I didn't touch on this much in my column um, earlier in the week for the line. I, I mentioned it, but I didn't touch on it much because it was kind of developing as I was writing the column. Um, one of the things I think it's, it's becoming apparent, it, it's, it includes the Johnston stuff, but it also includes the filibustering, the skipping meetings and all that stuff, is that whatever the liberals proposed originally before they kind of revealed how bullshit it was, it was serious, but it was not sufficient. And mm-hmm. I think what we're finding out now that it, it probably wasn't even that serious. <laughs> so, like, I still think we're in trouble here. But one of the concerns I have, and I wrote a column for TVO this week about this, and it was actually, it was talking a little bit about this. But you know how Doug Ford is in trouble on the green belt? Yes. He's I, also- in, fact, I in fact saw a naked topless woman about that, that this week. Yeah. Very issue. Yeah. The, um, yeah, her, her boobs were out there on camera for a while. Um, yeah. The Junos, was it? Something, something like that. And it took a while for them to cut away. So there's just a whole lot of boob for a minute. Um, Avril Levine got to tell the woman to get the fuck off the stage, which I respected and liked. Yeah. Good for Avril. Um, so the the related scandal for Doug Ford is alongside the Green Belt. So the Green Belt in particular, how am I, I going to summarize this in 20 seconds? Okay. The Greenbelt is a swath of protected land around the greater Toronto area. It's protected from development for environmental reasons, protecting watersheds, and also to constrain urban sprawl. Doug Ford's government has opened up parts of it for development, and there has been allegations that Ford-friendly developers were uncannily good at predicting in advance which parcels of land would be opened up and happened to purchase them at rock bottom prices all of a sudden to reap the benefit of the, these lands now being open for development. These are all allegations. Don't sue me. The other related <laughs> scandal, uh, God bless you. The other related scandal is that a few months ago, Doug Ford's daughter got married and at the wedding as invited guests were people with ties to lobbying and real estate development. And there was also a, a, a party before the wedding, a stag and doe, where people buy tickets to, you know, g- donate money to the, to the new couple. And re- uh, real estate developers and lobbyists were there again, too. So there's been these integrity complaints uh, made against the Doug Ford government. And the integrity commissioner has not yet issued a final report, but put out a preliminary response this week to a, a request to the leader of the opposition, NDP leader Merritt Stiles. And I'm reading the report. And you know me, I always admire the professionalism and the candor and, and the hard work that goes into these reports. And I'm reading this, I'm like, yeah, okay, this all makes sense. This is a professionally crafted reply. But I'm always thinking, we're fucked. Because what the integrity commissioner is saying is that there is, first of all, two issues. Was it wrong for people with ties to the government in terms of commerce to be at the event? Apparently, no. 
as long as there is a personal relationship that exists, you are welcome to invite the person, as long as business is not discussed and no confidential information is disclosed. There's no way to prove that. So Premier Ford goes, nothing was disclosed and nothing was discussed. He gets a big check mark from the integrity commissioner. That's the extent of the vetting. But the real issue is the gifts. That has been the line of attack by critics of the Ford government is a wedding gift to the daughter of the premier or a stag and go uh, dough gift before the wedding to the daughter of the premier influence peddling according to the Inte members integrity act of 1994 no because the only people who can be officially subject to influence are members of the legislature which could include the premier the spouse of a member of the legislature or their minor dependent children so so if you're the premier the day your eldest child turns 18, I show up with a birthday gift for them of $100 million in cash in a duffel bag. That would pass the Integrity Act. Yes. Yeah, so this is this is also one of my uh, uh, go-to rants about our Integrity Acts. And like it, I'm actually more shocked when people are found guilty of breaching integrity <laughs> violations than they uh -huh. are found innocent because there are so many loopholes in these things that mm -hmm. people don't even realize. I mean... A totally comparable event is that uh, Alison Redford, when she was premier in Alberta, um, got off on the Integrity Act when her government awarded like a, just a billion dollar contract, like a huge contract to go after the tobacco companies to the law firm of her ex-husband. Mm. And any sensible person would be like, wait, wait, that's obviously a conflict of interest. And of course, there was all kinds of really interesting things about she was, a, I believe, attorney general this time. And there was all kinds of interesting things about uh, basically her overriding her her um, uh, uh, civil service recommendations mm -hmm. in order to award this. So it, it was just all of it was was questionable um, and pretty problematic. But she got off on the integrity, um, uh, the ethics commissioner report, because an ex-husband isn't considered a close enough yep. contact to be considered um, uh, problematic under the Integrity Act. I can be giving a billion dollars a day to the 18-year-old child of a yeah. sitting member of the legislature, and that is not considered influence peddling. Which which brings me back to the whole thing. So it's amazing to me that Trudeau and his government, his cabinet, have been nailed on this stuff as often as they have, <laughs> because these integrity acts are yeah. hardly like dragnets, man. Like, they, the, the bars are not high on these laws. I th the reason I brought it up, though, and it, it, it fits my Johnston view or I think Johnson is a perfectly fine candidate to the sense that we're not going to get anyone better. And the reason we're not going to get anyone better is because our body politic has no immune system. We are sitting ducks because we like, as I wrote in my TBO column, like the Americans have that saying, the constitution is not a suicide pact. I said, we need a Canadian version of that, but it's more like we shouldn't have to do stupid shit. Like TVO doesn't like me to swear, so I had to like gussy it up a bit. But basically, that's what it comes down to. Like, if our laws are so toothless that they either permit or even encourage stuff that is obviously stupid and bad, it's a stupid and bad law. And right now, we're going into battle in, in a uh, economically precarious environment. We've got climate change issues, we've got geopolitical issues, and our laws are stupid and dumb. We our our political culture is stupid and dumb. You know, we have liberal committee members reading newspaper articles to avoid a vote on issue and this is a national security matter so i'm never i'm not 
I'm not a pessimist on these issues because I think we face unprecedented challenges. Like my grandparents fought Nazis. Like we we've had big problems before, but I just don't think we have a, like a civilizational immune system right now. Like it was kind of what my column a couple of weeks ago about POEC, where like what we realized in, in the convoy crisis is that like a half competent group of professionals with any event planning skills could probably topple the Canadian federal federal government. And what we're finding out with both integrity issues uh, in Ontario and Alberta, as you mentioned, and then this federal stuff, you don't need to be a genius to cut through us like a, a hot knife through butter on election peddling here. You just need to be like borderline competent. And we have no defense against that. That's that's what worries me about all this stuff. It's not the scale of the challenges. It's the ineptitude of our response. Um, I can think of a Churchillian quote here that I would repurpose for the for the moment, but I don't have Churchill quotes sitting in the back of my memory. Uh, so I think we have to put a pin in it there because we've been going on for a good long while now. Yep, good talk. But um, so let's uh let's not do anything on the grocery store stuff. Okay. Let's have me go off about C eighteen. Uh, me, you, or someone else. I'll do, do finances, on... but I'll I'll run that by someone who knows it better than I do. Yeah, you do finances, and then we'll see if one of our colleagues wants to do the Johnston stuff. Sure. Okay. Yep. Okay. And whatever else trickles in. Plus, that's 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 three meaty verbs in our discussion. Yeah, and we'll see whatever that. else the news gods drop on us on a Friday. Yes, and on that note, we should probably put this podcast out as soon as humanly possible. I will do that right now. <laughs> okay. All right. I'm Thanks, everybody. Some food. Bye. Mm, okay. See ya. Bye. Well, folks, thanks for listening. That's it for the next two weeks while Jen Gerson and I both take some time off with our families. Take good care of yourselves. Have a lot of fun. Stay safe. Be happy. And tune in again when the Lions Experimental Podcast returns in about two weeks.